filled with teaching, truths and issues that matter. Bernie Diamond's A Different Perspective, part of Night Vision each weeknight. Details at vision.org.au. The story. The first uh, prison was the worst one. Not only that's uh, the moment that you're for the first time in prison, but for the first two months I was put in the same cell with six other members of ISIS. You know, they were from various countries, uh, Sudan, also Libya, Egypt. They all were very proud of their Muslim faith and they started to treat me very badly. G'day, I'm Jimmy Colfax. Welcome to The Story. Well, our guest today, Peter Yashek, is a Czech missionary who was imprisoned in Sudan for 14 months and tortured by Islamic State extremists. Throughout the ordeal, he was moved to five different prisons. Remarkably, his faith was strengthened and he was able to lead many people to the Lord. Peter Yashek is sharing his extraordinary story with Eric Skadabo. Peter Yashek, welcome to the program. Thank you for the invitation. Okay, we're going to talk about your time in prison in the Sudan, but first we want to find out a little bit about your background growing up in the former Czechoslovakia. What was that like under communism? Yeah, it was not easy because uh, being a son of the pastor and uh, a Christian in the communist country was not easy because sometimes I was the only Christian in the class uh, or in the whole school. Uh, So uh, we have experienced persecution, you know, my uh, parents, uh, because they were working also not only in the officially allowed church, but also in the underground church. Mm-hmm. So uh, they were uh, one day uh, arrested uh, at the same time in two different places and uh, being interrogated. For, uh, the uh, authorities wanted to know what was uh, actually going on in our house because my parents were organizing discipleship training school for young people. And that was all illegal because that was not officially uh, reported uh, to the authorities who wanted to know everything that what was going on in the church or in our house. So that was kind of preparation, you know, for me personally, uh, you know, for the time when I have experienced persecution, uh, maybe 36 years later. Yeah. So how long were your parents in prison? Uh, They were actually only interrogated and uh, and being released. But uh, some of our relatives, uh, uncles, you know, they spent uh, years, several years in prison. Mm -hmm. Uh, So it was also very interesting to hear their stories, you know, uh, either the stories of my parents of the interrogation, but also stories from uh, uh, my relatives who spent uh, several years in prison just because they were working with the young uh, people. And that was ex- especially considered like very dangerous, you mm-hmm. know, for the communist regime working with young people. Okay, so that was life as a Christian under communism. But then fortunately, communism fell. Tell us about that. Yeah, we can say that uh, with Daniel 2.21 that the Lord is the one who is setting up kings and uh, who is also removing the kings. And uh, this year, in uh, in November, we will be actually celebrating 30 years of uh, our freedom. And, um, you know, uh, very shortly after we got our freedom back, we actually uh, started to um, find out about other persecuted Christians. Uh, you know, many, many people in this world with the fall of communism in Eastern Europe, they thought that uh, persecution stopped in this world. But in fact, the persecution is growing. And, uh, you know, the organization that was founded uh, by Richard Wurmbrand, the Romanian pastor who spent 14 years in communist prison and three years he spent in solitary confinement, you know, this is now helping Christians in um, near 70 different countries. And I can tell you that for me personally, 
being once uh, the recipient of this help and being freed from the communist uh, dictatorship, I always have felt it as a great privilege that mm-hmm. I can now serve the persecuted church. And I have been serving the persecuted Christians in the last 25 years. And I can tell you that I had this great opportunity to uh, um, meet and interview uh, Christians who have not only lost their, you know, houses, their material things, houses being looted and destroyed or cars being destroyed. But I have also met uh, those uh, courageous believers who have lost their beloved ones, brothers, mm-hmm. sisters, children, parents, and others. Uh, but the Lord also gave me a special privilege to meet uh, whom I would call the heroes of faith, mm-hmm. you know, those who have also lost parts of their own bodies because they wow. didn't want to renounce their Christian faith. Mm-hmm. And I can tell you that that also all those meetings, all those interviews, um, through all of that, my personal faith was encouraged. And I think that that's the way how the Lord was preparing me for my time in prison in Sudan. You know, mm-hmm. I went there only just to document uh, several persecution cases, like one Muslim background believer student who was uh, seriously burned because of his active Christian faith, and they tried to kill him, but he survived, but was seriously burned. Also, I saw pictures of uh, church buildings, even in the capital city, Khartoum, that got uh, completely demolished, you know. You may visit Khartoum and you may get the false impression of the religious freedom because you will see churches and people going in and out. Uh, but uh, these churches are controlled by the state, uh, by the authorities and mm. secret police, exactly in the same way how it used to be controlled under the communism. Yeah. And those pastors who are actually encouraging their church members to uh, fulfill Christ's uh, great commission. It means to make disciples of all people, including the Muslim majority people. They will be reported to the police, summoned by the police, and, you know, at first maybe friendly, you know, advised, mm-hmm. you know, not to do so. If they will continue, they can uh, spend up to 12 months in prison, you know, without any court decision. And if they still continue to encourage their church members to follow Christ's great commission, their churches will be just demolish. You know, they will always find reasons wow. why. Mm. Maybe they will say, you know, the property that you built your church on is not completely yours, you know, and or they will say that uh, your fire regulations are not complying with uh, the state regulations, and they will come and uh, just uh, completely pull down the church building and wow. demolish it. Well, wow, false pretenses. Now, let's go back a little bit to your story. How did you even become involved in the Voice of the Martyrs and helping out persecuted Christians in the first place? You know, that goes back in the time of communism, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, when uh, on the day when my father returned home from the uh, interrogation of the secret police, mm-hmm. he went to his library and he uh, just uh, found uh, Richard Wurmbrand's book in God's Underground. At that time, you know, we had this book only in German language, but I was fluent in German. So he gave me this book and he said, read this book. It will encourage your faith. Mm-hmm. And when I read uh, Richard Wurmbrand's story, you know, the founder of The Voice of the Martyrs, uh, my faith was so encouraged that, uh, you know, I even uh, shared this news with uh, one of my uh, fellow students later on, you know, who became a believer through my testimony. And I also prepared him for the for the persecution under the communism. And then after we got the freedom back, you know, we uh, found out more about this organization and we started to work with them. And in 1992, we actually were able to uh, found the Czechoslovak Voice of the Martyrs at that time. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, so it, it uh, at first I used to work as a volunteer uh, mm-hmm. for this uh, because uh, I have worked 20 years in healthcare. I was uh, 10 years a hospital director in Czech Republic. And uh, uh, but uh, later on uh, in 2002, I felt that the Lord was leading me, you know, to the full time ministry helping the persecuted church. So since 2002, I've been uh, systematically visiting persecuted Christians in Central Asia, uh, Middle East, or Africa, and, uh, you know, interviewing them, documenting uh, the persecution, and also preparing projects for their help. In the moment when I got arrested uh, on December 10th, 2015, in Khartoum Airport, I was overseeing probably over 250 different projects in 27 African countries. So that's how I got, uh, you know, involved in Sudan. And I have visited the country of Sudan uh, probably more than a dozen times when it was still one country. We were helping predominantly those Christians in southern Sudan who were suffering Actually, even though it was never recognized by the UN, but there was a genocide, uh, you know, for the last uh, 20 uh, years before they got their independence. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, in, uh, when they got their independence, we focused on northern Sudan, especially in those areas like Nuba Mountains or Blue Nile area where Christians are still persecuted and mm-hmm. they were suffering, uh, you know, heavily uh, from uh, the authorities uh, in uh, in Khartoum and that has actually brought me uh, to Sudan. You're just supposed to be there for four days. What happened? Yeah, I uh, had um, planned meetings uh, very carefully every day. You know, of course, I could not visit the places uh, of uh, the demolished churches during the day. I was all told that only at night I was allowed to see the places. So Mm -hmm. I was not actually able to take photos. I was able to to visit this Muslim background believer student who got seriously burnt. And uh, I could uh, take photos, detailed photos of his injuries. And uh, I had some strategic meetings with pastors. And church leaders, you know, usually we were meeting in a very noisy restaurant so that no one could actually record our conversations. Mm -hmm. And after four days, you know, having this uh, feeling that my mission was completed, I just spoke uh, uh, with my wife on on a uh, Skype and I tell mission completed and I'm heading home. And I was in the airport after this busy four days of meetings and interviews and documenting this uh, injuries of this young Muslim believer student. And I went to the airport and um, was already holding the boarding passes in my hand. Mm-hmm. And then I got arrested. And, uh, of course, the secret police confiscated first my cell phone, my laptop, my camera, video camera, all memory cards. So I was not even able to tell my family that I got arrested. They were asking me what was the reason of my trip, and I came on a tourist visa, so I also showed them some of the tourist-type uh, photos that I deliberately left in my camera. Mm-hmm. But they did not believe me that I was a tourist, and they started to show me uh, photos that they have taken during the, those four days, including photos taken with night vision camera oh, wow. know, when I was meeting these. So I realized that it was really serious yeah. and uh, not just a normal, uh, you know, check, you know, when I have uh, that I have experienced several times when leaving some of the restricted countries. And after that, I was brought to the headquarters of the secret police and interrogated for nearly 24 hours. Basically, they were just going through uh, my 
my laptop, even though they were not able to find anything there. But, uh, you know, they were able to restore some of the deleted photos, which, you know, were just deleted. And I forgot to overwrite, you know, the mm. empty space on my memory cards. And after that, it was quite obvious, you know, that uh, they will not put me for the night in a hotel. And I was put in the first out of the five different prisons that I went through during the coming uh, nearly 15 months. You're listening to The Story. Today, Eric Skadabo is chatting with Peter Yashek from The Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. He was imprisoned in Sudan for 14 months and tortured by Islamic State extremists. Despite the persecution, we'll find out how God used him in a miraculous way when we return. The Story. If this program has highlighted something you'd like prayer for, we'd love to pray for you. Call 1-800-PRAY-FOR-ME. That's 1-800-772-936. It's a free call. Or text 0401 132 Hi, I'm Jimmy Colfax and this is The Story. Today, Eric Skadabo is chatting with Peter Yashek from the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry. Peter was visiting persecuted Christians in Sudan when he was detained at the airport. This began his ordeal of several months in prison. The first uh, prison was the worst one. Not mm. only that's uh, the moment that you're for the first time in prison, but for the first two months, I was put in the same cell with six other members of ISIS. You know, wow. they were from various countries, uh, from yeah. uh, Sudan, also Libya, Egypt, uh, Somalia, Yemen, uh, Pakistan, or other countries. And they were very young people, very at the age of my own children, maybe 22 to 27 years. Wow, it sounds like you kind of went from the frying pan into the fire. <laughs> I mean, yeah, yeah. I can't Think and of a then, worse scenario. Uh, you know, yeah, then uh, I realized that they were also very highly educated people. You mm-hmm. know, they were all having university diplomas, uh, not only from African universities, but also from European. They all were very proud of their Muslim faith, and they started to treat me very badly. And there was one guy who was uh, very respected by the rest of them, and they used to call him a man of sword. And I thought, uh, because later on I heard that he was at the age of 12, already uh, a personal guard of Osama bin Laden in Tora wow. And he was um, later on, you know, this is what I heard when he was moved to another cell from our cell that he was also one of the murderers who slaughtered the 20 Coptic Egyptian Christians on the Libyan shore. So oh, he was wow. also threatening me. At one time, you know, he took out a strong fishing string from his pocket and he was showing how he can kill a person within a few seconds with this fishing string. And he told me openly that if I was an American or Russian, he would break my neck and kill me immediately. And, oh, you know, wow. I was very weak. I can tell you that I have reached the bottom of my physical as well as emotional strength because you know I lost uh, within the first three and a half months I lost 25 kilos of my body weight but the the serious beating came at the end of these uh, uh, first two months at first it was just kind of being you know like limiting my freedom of movement or or you know letting me uh, you know really sit in a very painful position you know for instance or Mm -hmm. not allowing to me to go for, for the toilet and so on and so forth so I was really 
experiencing, uh, uh, you know, the, I would say the bottom of my physical as well as emotional strength. Mm-hmm. And I was uh, at the same time being only allowed to speak when I was asked. And that was my only opportunity to share the gospel with these proud Muslims. And I asked the Lord to give me the right words always to preach the gospel to them. And sometimes they were listening to me and they were just, uh, uh, you know, speechless. And, uh, you know, I was uh, actually allowed to share the gospel with them, to pray for them as well. Wow, they allowed you to do that. You know, there was only like when they asked me and uh, they asked me about my Christian faith. They were so proud of their Muslim faith. So I was trying, you know, to share the gospel through my answers. Mm -hmm. And, uh, of course, it was limited by, I would say that uh, this was uh, not only done by words, you know, but also like Jesus said that if someone hits you on one cheek, you turn the other one to him as well. So I had this wonderful opportunity, even though it was not from my own strength. That's what I would like to emphasize mm. because my nature would be always against, you know, I would always try to defend myself, but the Lord gave me such a special grace that I could also, you know, witness by my attitudes. And eventually they decided that they will do the waterboarding on me. Uh, you know, that was that was supposed to be the final torture, but the Lord has rescued me from this uh, by, you know, um, open the, one of the guards opened the cell and when he heard that something was going to happen to me, he opened the cell and he asked me out and then I was again punished, you know, punished by the guards because I was put in solitary confinement when they were blowing the whole night the cold air on me and I was only wearing a, you know, a t-shirt and short sleeves. Wow. But the Lord uh, showed me his presence in a really supernatural way, you know, and uh, later on uh, after four months, you know, when I was praying the first four months to be released. Uh, actually, I was not released. I was just transferred to a different prison. Mm-hmm. And then the Lord gave me a very uh, unique opportunity to share the gospel with 12 Eritrean refugees who came to our crowded cell. You know, we had no toilet. We were only allowed uh, twice a day to go to the toilet outside. You know, one time in the morning, one time in the evening, twice a day, they brought us, you know, the one bowl of hard skin boiled beans uh, was, mm-hmm. uh, without any taste and a moldy wow. bread and uh, you know but uh, when the Lord brought these 12 Eritrean refugees I had clearly you know uh, the guidance of the Spirit go sit beside them and share the gospel with them and I shared the gospel with them uh, you know and they gladly that night all of 12 of them prayed with me and they committed their lives to Christ wow. and that was such a joyful moment and such an opening eye opening moment for me that from that point I realized why I had to be in prison four months and one day because these Eritrean refugees needed to hear the gospel from mm-hmm. me. And I, you know, stopped to be worried how long time I will be in prison. I knew that what is four months, what is a year, what is maybe you know, 14 years uh, compared to eternity of someone who can hear the gospel in prison and started to be very active in sharing the gospel in prison. And again, you know, the guards didn't like it, of course. So after four or five days of sharing actively the gospel with anyone who could uh, uh, speak English, or later on, I even learned some phrases in Arabic so that I could share the gospel in Arabic. Mm. You know, they put me again in solitary confinement. Uh, but uh, again, you know, that was the Lord's plan because after, you know, four or five days, you know, I had a visitor and the consular officer brought me a Bible. Imagine after five oh, wow. 
months not having the Bible. Yeah. Whilst other the Muslims, they had Korans there, you know. I got the Bible and I was so hungry after the Word of God that I read the Bible in standing position at the window and I was able to read only from maybe 8 a.m. till uh, 5 p.m. when there was enough light. Oh, yeah. But I read the Bible from Genesis to Revelation within three weeks and I oh, kept wow. reading it over and over again and I was just wondering why do I have this wonderful privilege because um, my reading of the Bible was a, a completely new perspective on Scripture. You know, I have understood new passages that I never understood or those passages that I thought that I understood. You know, I started to understand in a different way. And I was wondering why. But the answer came three months later. You know, after being eight months in prison, you know, having this wonderful opportunity of uh, uh, reading the Bible mm-hmm. the whole day for three months, you know, our court case started and we had to be moved to a different prison. Mm-hmm. And we were moved moved to a huge prison called Al-Huda, you know, that has capacity probably like 10,000 prisoners. And we were among the real criminals, you know, murderers, rapists, wow. uh, drug dealers, yeah. thieves, uh, uh, child abusers, you know, and, um, uh, you know, fighting and, and each uh, evening in the cell, you know, huge cells where we were 100 people in one cell. But this prison was also the first prison where even the Muslims were allowed to do their religious ablutions, you know, and go to the mosque. And, and in fact, every section of four cells, so roughly four 400 prisoners must have their own uh, mosque. But for the non-Muslim prisoners, you know, among these many mm-hmm. mosques in this prison, you know, the prison authorities turned one of these prison cells into a small chapel. Oh, and that okay. was on the first day, you know, brothers came from this chapel and they heard there was one European and two Sudanese pastors and they invited us to this chapel. And that was the, the, the when I understood why the Lord gave me this five months of deepening my prayer life, three months of this intensive Bible reading because in this prison, you know, uh, for six months, I could preach once a week, sometimes twice a week in this prison chapel and could lead absolutely hopeless, desperate and forgotten people who have lost all the hopes in this world. They could find peace with the Lord Jesus, uh, with God through the Lord Jesus and his blood. And it was such a wonderful that I can say without any exaggeration that these six months were the best, not only the best six months of my life, but uh, I mean, of my prison life, but these six months were really the best six months of my life, period. Wow. And I can tell you, I've never seen so many people coming to Christ, you know, uh, really? through my preaching. And so do you think they were just really ripe because they were in such a desperate situation, so they were ripe for yeah, some Yeah, that hope? was the, the, the Lord's plan, you mm-hmm. know. Uh, we read it even when Apostle Paul is asking, you know, the Christian in Ephesus, Ephesians 6, uh, from the verse 18, you know, he's asking them for prayers, and he's asking them they would pray that the Lord would give him the right words whenever he opens his mouth to share the gospel because he says, I am the ambassador of the gospel in chains. And I can tell you, we were many times chained, you know, either individually or we were chained two by two. Mm. And I can tell you that uh, one time when we were uh, having our first hearing in the court and we were waving those bold Christians who came from all over South, I mean, uh, the uh, Nuba Mountains, especially long uh, journey, and they came 
to sing a Christian songs in front of the court building, and we were waving. I was waving, and I was uh, handcuffed together with Pastor Hassan. You know, the Lord gave us this wonderful uh, verse from Second Timothy chapter two, from verse eight. You know, when Paul says, "Even though I am bound as a criminal, the word of God is not bound." So, mm-hmm. in fact, you know, we were just fulfilling the Lord's uh, word, uh, what He said to His disciples. We were using this as other, our opportunity to uh, share our. Christian witness in prison. And that's, I think, is the way how we can also pray for our persecuted brothers and sisters around the world. And how did your time in the Sudan prisons come to an end? You know, uh, after our court, uh, six months old uh, court hearing uh, or court case finished, um, I was actually sentenced to life imprisonment uh, and my two colleagues to 12 years in prison. Yeah, so this was, you know, we were transferred to the last prison and we had no idea, you know, I knew that there were some negotiations going on. But, you know, when we were in uh, in uh, preaching in Al-Huda prison chapel, uh, you know, we stopped being worried how long time we will be in prison. We knew that the Lord Jesus was in control and that he was holding the keys of our cell. So we were just, uh, uh, you know, continuing to sharing the gospel, even in the last prison, even though I was not allowed to preach there. And and that uh, only maybe once there was also a small prison chapel, but uh, they uh, tried to prevent me from going because the chapel was in a different section. So I was, uh, you know, uh, just using it to the personal evangelism, you know, with people who could speak either English or even a little French or a little Arabic, you know, mm-hmm. that I could share the gospel in. And one morning, I'm sitting uh, under the little tree that is in the little courtyard of our uh, cell where we could walk during the day, and I'm reading Psalms. You know, I'm, uh, Psalms are the most favorite part of mm-hmm. the Bible for yeah. me. So every morning, I start reading Psalms, and I'm reading Psalms 126, uh, where the, when it says that when the Lord has brought the captives of Zion back, our hearts were filled with joy, our mouths with laughter, and we were like in a dream. And uh, we were just uh, remembering what a great things has the, the Lord has done to us. And I just finished reading this psalm, and a few seconds later, two guards came to me, and they announced that I am going to be released today. Wow. So the, the Lord just uh, kept uh, telling me, you know, all the things a little in advance, you know. And I was told that I was granted presidential pardon, you know, and my, my two brothers still remained in prison for the next uh, maybe three and a half months, and they were released uh, in May uh, 2017. I was actually released at the end of uh, February uh, 2017. Wow. So finally, your time in prisons came to an end. And of course, now you're continuing to help persecuted Christians throughout the world. Thank you so much for sharing your story with us today. Thank you for your invitation. That was Eric Scadabo chatting with Peter Yashek from the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry, sharing about his time in five different prisons in Sudan. It was remarkable to hear how God gave him a supernatural peace and strength to get through the intense persecution he faced. As the Bible says, if God is for us, who can be against us? And who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or danger No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Christ, who loved us enough to die for us. Well, if you'd like to learn more about Peter Yashek and how the Voice of the Martyrs Ministry is helping persecuted Christians throughout the world, their website is vom.com.au. That's vom.com.au. 
www.peterscoffee.com.au. Well, thanks for joining us for Peter's incredible story. I'm Jimmy Colfax, encouraging you to share your story with someone today. Next time on The Story. I found these people in the church were saying that our God in the Bible is personal. He reveals himself and we can have personal relationship with our God. And that was amazing. That was really delicious, philosophically speaking to me. For the first time, I'm hearing that, and it made sense. Not only it made sense, it was yummy to me. It was delicious to me, really. Dr. Daniel Shoyesta was a teacher of Islamic philosophy and a member of the Iranian Revolutionary Army in the 1970s. But after falling out of favour with Khamenei's political group in Iran, he escaped to Turkey, where he began his journey to faith in Christ. We'll hear his amazing story next time. The Story. Just another way vision is connecting faith to life.